You are listening to the Enormo Cast. Greetings. This is a message from Dr. Alan Honlove of the Good Catch Institute. The weather is getting colder, and you're still desperately one-hanging your fall project. Or maybe you've decided to do something easier, but more miserable, like ice climbing. Isn't it time to renew your commitment to your belayer with something more than an occasional high-five? Good Catch is here to help you reinvigorate the foundation of what brought you and your belayer together in the first place. Our expert staff here at Good Catch suggests that you create a safe, warm space for your belayer with the belay parka and stance belay pants combo from our friends at Black Diamond Equipment. The BD belay parka features two layers of insulation, a two-way zipper for wrapping that belay device, and huge internal pockets where your belayer can keep your shoes warm for your next go. The stance belay pants bring the heat with side zips to get in and out even with crampons on. Being wrapped in the BD belay parka and stance belay pants create the feeling of a warm hug from a trusted loved one without the actual human touch that might, you know, give your belayer the wrong idea. But nothing says, Uh, dude, I'm just going to try this part one more time. Like some bomber insulated outerwear from Black Diamond Equipment. Check it all out at blackdiamondequipment.com or your favorite local shop. And remember, if you are cold, they're freezing their ass off. We gotta get Listen, uh, uh, where are you playing in town? Are you playing here? We're doing the, uh, the Normo Dome, whatever it is. It's terrific. Oh, it's yeah, a big place outside of town. That's a big place. You sold it out. I'll say, we really should... Look, you better get up there before you panic. Those pens are loose. You're very good. I have really enjoyed having them with you. We'll make it. I don't think so. But we shall continue with style. Good weather. Bad weather. Now or later, anytime. Today's show is brought to you by Black Diamond Equipment, with support from Maxim Ropes. And the fine folks at La Sportiva. And don't forget our charter sponsor, Bonfire Coffee. Go to bonfirecoffee.com and enter Enorma at checkout for a discount on great coffee and to support the EnormaCast. And now back to the show. Hello and welcome to the EnormaCast. This is your host, Chris Kalous. It is December 17th, about 11.30 a.m. 2021, and this, my friends, is episode 232 of the EnormaCast, a conversation with fellow podcaster Niall Grimes. Yes, Niall Grimes of the Jam Crack Podcast has come on the EnormaCast. That's how we roll here. We talk to each other, us podcasters. Niall has, on several occasions, including this show, credited the EnormaCast as the inspiration for the Jam Crack podcast, which I totally appreciate. And I feel as though what Niall does on the Jam Crack is as close to what I do here on the EnormaCast as about any other podcaster. And of course, while I do appreciate what Niall says about getting the inspiration from my show, well, as you know from listening that I, in fact, ripped off a Mark Marin. So there you go. But the truth is, is that since media was invented, people have sat down in front of each other and interviewed one another. 
That's how it works. It goes back a long time. In fact, I believe some islanders put two coconuts on sticks and leaned in close and talked to each other. That's how it started, the interview show on a beach somewhere in Polynesia. That's what I think. I don't have any proof for that. But that's how old this forum is. So thank you, Niall. But uh, yeah, we're just all building on each other. It's about to be Christmas, which is a hectic time for a lot of people. And uh, yeah, so I'll get right to it. You know, I don't have anything going on. I'm going to go, you know, into the holiday mode here in a moment. As soon as I press go with this one. So yeah, Niall Grimes, about my age, coming out of Northern Ireland via Sheffield. And uh, started the Jam Crack podcast. But long before that, he was a writer. Um, has had columns in American magazines. Good dark humor at times, but also using humor, sarcasm, satire to point out a lot of the dumb shit we do in climbing, which I totally appreciate. We talk a lot about that in the podcast, about how humor, taking the piss, all those sorts of things can actually defuse the troubles we see in the world. This was a lot of fun. I want to be friends with Niall. I think I think we are sort of friends, you know, connected via this podcasting and talking on the internet. But I want to hang out with him in a pub and be his friend. I hope he would let me do that. This sort of like loudmouth American guy hanging out in Sheffield in a pub. I hope to do that one day because this was a lot of fun. I was laughing during the edit, which is always a good sign because I already heard the jokes and I thought they were funny again. So I think this is a good one for the holidays. Just light fun conversation with Nile Grimes. And I want to say that it is a little bit late. I wanted to put it out a few days ago, but then I got caught up in this project that just kind of took way, way more time than I had imagined. But I think it turned out in a glorious, glorious way. Yes, I've taken the commercial thing one step further, sort of begging to get dropped by Sportiva, but I'm going to put it out anyway. So, The reason I was three days late is because of this. Please enjoy a holiday message from Sportiva. And then Nal Grimes as he cowers in embarrassment after this commercial. Oh, and we drop in kind of already talking about Paul Pritchard. Because Nal recorded a little tribute to to Paul that I put on Paul Pritchard's episode a couple, uh, couple shows ago. All right, where were we? Oh, yeah. At the lounge. Hey, Bobby, you going ice climbing this winter? Well, all right. Why don't we tell them how to keep their toes warm up on those icicles? Yeah, swing them tools, baby. Oh, the weather outside is frightful. But in the gym, it's quite delightful. But you don't want to know. So ice climbing, you will go. But the crummy boots you've chosen Will keep your poor toes frozen Pain builds character, you know So ice climbing you will go With Sportiva boots fit right You love going out in the storm Even when you grip too tight Up the icicle you'll be warm Under the boards the bros are spraying But indoors you'll not be staying Let Sportiva take care of your toes So ice climbing you can go Remember this winter that frozen feet 
losing your toenails, and bashing your front points around like a drunken Cossack dancer is not just, quote, part of ice climbing. Do it better, warmer, and with pleasure in exceptional ice climbing and mountain boots from Sportiva. All right, Bobby, let's take him to the moon. Two, three. Instead of loudly whining, or with the barfies you start crying, be a boss up on the flows with Sportiva around your toes. Cha-cha. Hey, Bobby, why don't we slide on over to Sportiva.com or our favorite local shop and check out them boots. I edited his interview again, and um, you know I listened to yours too, so you know it's uh, it's it's a little tricky to interview him these days, especially me because I have these really long-winded questions, and then he's like, can't remember the where I started it, and neither can I. But I went back and and re-edited it, and actually I'm I'm, I'm much more pleased with it. Um, when I first hit you up, I was like, God, this is. You know, I'm not really sure what I got, but um, but I'm much happier with it. But that'll that'll be a little cherry on top, um, to drop a little bit of that in there. So. Yeah, I had that recently with a John Long podcast. You interviewed John Long too, and after partway through, I thought, ah, oh, this guy's bored talking. He's he's bored. But I kept sort of asking him questions, and a sort of my impression at the time was that he's he's sort of he wants to be elsewhere. But then when I listened to it back, it it was it was kind of much better than my experience of it had informed me if you understand but maybe it's a oh, similar totally. thing with your one with paul uh, it also was a very similar thing with my one with john long so there you go <laughs> oh really <laughs> oh yeah no, no. I, you know it's, it's funny because i kind of have this not really set in stone rule but in my mind it is basically if you have something to promote then i don't really want you on my show <laughs> it's kind of yeah. like yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> If you like, want to be on it, I'm I, sorry, you can't. Right, and that, and that, yeah, I was about to say that, and then that extrapolates like to the more you want to do the show, the less chance you're going to get to do it, and yeah. uh, that's not obviously 100 percent true. But I've just found when someone's on like a tour or like you know they're banging them out, which is that era. I think that you you know interviewed John. We interviewed him for the run out. I interviewed him for the Enormacast. Uh, Steven interviewed him at the Nugget. Actually, our episodes came out the same week, which I wasn't too psyched about, but it was it was my fault because um, I didn't have anything else. And but anyway, so it, you know, and that's the feeling of like, well, he's he's been doing this you know daily for like a few days now, and he doesn't really want to do it to begin with. So yeah, that I kind of had the similar feeling, and that's and I found that in the past too, like when I'm I'm a little leery when there's like a press person or a publisher person involved yeah, yeah. as well. I know. Um, <laughs> Yeah, with, with John and somebody else recently, the per, the press people were really nice, and I just remember thinking, I'm been I'm been worked here, aren't I? But they're 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 so good at their job, I caved in. Well, it's John Long. I mean, it's it's not just some Seven Summits guy that you know wrote his his latest book about it or something like that. So it's still John Long. You know, you're still going to go for it. Um, and and I felt like my interview was was decent as well. It, it's not like I was like you know really upset about it, but I, I had that same traction feeling, and that's why I always call it like you know I'm literally like I'm in the mud here, like trying to grind it out. <laughs> yeah, and, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I don't yeah. know what I had. <laughs> um, no, with with Paul, I was I was wrapped. It was just more of like. I mean, it was just more that there was a depth to him that I was mining that's like endless. It's it, And so, you know, you're doing an hour or whatever and 
you know, it's like, well, where did we get to? Because there's like 80 layers here. Um, so that was more the feeling of like, God, where did, how far did we get? Did we, did we hit any nuggets? Because I mean, I just almost ignored his entire early climbing career because we were talking about his new book and, and about the totem pole a lot and stuff like that. So that was more of the feeling. And I, I don't know if you ever get that feeling too of like, man, we didn't scratch the surface because I think you interview, you know, some of these giants in the sport as well. And, and, and you, you interview people to me who are absolutely mythic creatures because I don't have the background of knowing them or having run into them at the crags the way you do, or, or, you know, seen them at talks and, you know, these, these just myths. And so, um, do you, do you ever feel the weight of that when you're talking to these people or are you able to like back off from it? Uh, it's generally pretty good. I mean, I'm just trying to think of the biggest climbers with Alex Honnold. I'd done a bit of a book tour with him or a sort of conversation tour. And Tommy was the, Tommy Caldwell was, was, I just met him like one minute before we pressed record on, on the thing. And that was one of the first podcasts I did. And that was really nice. But you know, you meet climbers all, all your life, don't you? And, and you realize that they're all just people and, and you're trying to see through the, uh, what you know already. So for example, if, some people will know who you are and they'll come over and talk to you, but you can very quickly detect whether that person is able to see you through what they know of you. Because sometimes that thing of what they know of people is the barrier and not everyone can get through that with everyone. And some some people do, obviously, if they've never met you before, only know who you are, can penetrate the barrier and speak to you, but not, not everyone can do that. And I guess as an interviewer trying to get into that position too, not always successfully, but you're trying to get through to the person because, you know, in your life, you've hung out with people who are legends and you realize that they're either people you like or people you like not so much. And it doesn't matter how famous they are or what grade they've climbed. They're, they're just people, aren't they? Yeah. And it's funny because when I was thinking about people you've interviewed and like the myth mythology behind it, I was more thinking of some of these deep uh, you know, UK climbers and, and you jumped to, to, to Tommy. And for me, Tommy is not like that at all because I've uh, the same yeah. reason as I've known yeah. him. I mean, obviously yeah. he's, he's the man, right. And, and his accomplishments are, are, you know, unparalleled, but I also have known him since he was literally 11 or 12. And so like, he, he doesn't represent that to me at all. And meanwhile, yeah. like because of our, our two, you know, being across the pond, as it were, like he becomes something quite big to you well i don't i mean i, I was just kind of look up your list because i can't think of exactly who i'm talking about but um catherine destival i've interviewed catherine destival oh, isn't that dude. amazing yeah i know wow, and that's a, i've been wow <laughs> <laughs> exactly <laughs> and she was just completely casual and then afterwards she did a talk at this presentation and her talk was shit and what i thought was i've i've emptied her I've spent an hour and a half <laughs> emptying her and she got nothing left of this talk and the talk was really boring. And I felt really guilty with that because a lot of people had paid money to come along and see her and I'd sort of got the best out of her, I thought. <laughs> what was it was it did you talk to other people about the talk? Were they also bored with it or was oh, it just, just that you it. also had heard it all? There, no, no. You, there was just no life left in her. Oh right. Right. Because <laughs> talking for an hour and a half's a long time, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, totally. No, I've been actually literally meaning to hit you up for a contact because she's on my she's on my dream list, man. She was like, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. 
aside from her as a climber, like she, you know, as a young climber myself, she inhabited fantasy world for me, you know. You were either kind of a Ooh, Lynn wow. Hill man mm-hmm. or a Catherine Desteville man, you know, back in the day. And yeah, and uh, I was definitely solidly in the French French woman's oh, camp. Wow. Ooh, la, la. Wow. <laughs> Ooh, la, la. He should you know? he should dream guest, Chris. <laughs> yeah, I, I, you know it's funny they asked me about dream guest. What have you ever tried to get Messner? No, no. <laughs> <laughs> I, it's you? funny because I think it would be it would probably not be a great interview. I don't mm. think. I think you know because of the vibe. Like our vibes just are too probably too casual for for mm. you know Herr Rein Herr, Herr Messner and you know. But yeah. it, I just still I just still want. I want actually. I I kind of like want the awkwardness um, on tape. Yeah, I know. Like, I know. <laughs> <laughs> this like this like you know goofball American guy yeah. that's like you know lobbing stupid questions yeah. at, at hey Reinhold I've, I've got some anagrams of your name do you want to hear some funny anagrams of your name <laughs> yeah exactly see the two really of us could totally like yeah <laughs> you know ask him about hair product like you know <laughs> does he color what does he use um that kind of thing yeah so but you yeah. know it's 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 literally like and it's funny about reinhold is or messner is it's like it feels literally impenetrable because you know of who he is but also he like literally lives in a castle and so i just have these two images of of layers of like publicist and you know he's like a politician and things now but then also he's literally in you know inside of a, a you know a relatively medieval castle so there's an impenetrable nature of that as well so anyway but um but yeah i just i just kind of want to like it's almost like a scary climb like i don't really want to do a scary climb but i want to do a scary climb and it's i i want to sit through an awkward like 45 minutes with reinhold messner um <laughs> Or, or maybe I'm wrong, and, it, and we would just like have a jolly old time. I don't know. <laughs> and then in, in the edit, you'd lengthen out the pauses. We know sometimes you cut out long pauses, and your edit yeah, you sort of add a few more seconds. I mean. <laughs> People are like, oh, man, the mess giving it to him. <laughs> yeah. Um, anyway, but yeah, so I don't, I don't know. I mean, I have the, I have the other. Have you interviewed uh, Sharma? I mean, I've, I've met Chris a few times uh, over the years. Never, I did interview him for a magazine one time, but it just it was a really bad recording, uh, so he couldn't publish it up, put it out. But yeah, I've, I've spent. He used to say, "Man, you should come to my, you should come over and stay." He used to say, "He said that to me a few times. You should come and stay." I thought you don't fucking mean that, but I always, I wish I'd, ha- I'd called his bluff and went over to stay with him sometimes. Hey, man, they tell you the amazing thing about <laughs> this festival one time, and I was chatting Dean. Uh, chatting to Chris and Chris's dad was there. Is this sort of, this sort of, you know, one of these guys with like a, a Wrangler jacket and a pair of straight Wrangler jeans and a sort of t shirt on or like some totally straight guy. And this is my dad. And I was going and somebody else is chatting. This other young woman came over to chat to this, but they sort of looked straight at, she looked straight across at Chris, kind of ignoring me and the dad a little bit. And she talked to Chris and then this, this sort of, this fantastically beautiful woman came up and said, oh, Chris, could you come and talk to us? So, and sort of led Chris off to meet someone. And the young woman who'd, who'd come along just just stared after Chris and went, I'd so bone Chris Sharma. <laughs> and I went, that's funny if you met Chris's dad. And she just, she barely looked at him. And she just went, I'd so bone Chris Sharma. <laughs> and I said to the dad, what do, you, what do you think of that yourself? And he goes, oh, I'm used to it. <laughs> 
That's so boring, Chris Sharma. <laughs> yeah, well, you know. <laughs> uh, I don't know what the uh, the heterosexual buddy version of that is, but I'd do that. Um, yeah. But yeah, Chris, Chris is funny. I think it's funny. boning. I think it's still okay. boning. <laughs> it still is. <laughs> that, that's pretty awesome. Um, but let, let me, uh, can I actually ask you a couple, uh, can we get to like an interview part of this? Um, sure, yeah, yeah. By yeah, the way, yeah, Chris, I, I just want to say yeah. your, your podcast, uh-huh. I've done a podcast, Jan Crack, it's based on yours, I copied yours, so cheers for the inspiration for doing it. Like, you know, you see people doing these things, so it's, mine is more or less taking the template of yours and doing the same thing, so, and uh, you're the inspiration for doing it. Excellent, thanks for that. I, mean, I really enjoyed listening well, th- to your show over the years. And Yeah, thank, thanks for the compliments. I, I know you've said that before, and um, I just... I appreciate. I totally appreciate what you're saying and 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 being an inspiration. But of course, you know, I always like to say, like, as soon as media was invented, the format that I use was invented. And so, you know, like sitting there asking people questions on on audio or video, yeah. So, um, but yeah, I understand. You know, and I feel like I feel like we inhabit a similar space, um, especially in the last few years. I've I've really turned towards, or I've been trying to do things with sort of a history angle like i want to get these some of these people on tape you know i literally in in some cases before they pass you know and i feel like that's been a lot of what you've also done a little climbing podcasts are just doing that in general but um i think that we've we inhabit this similar space and that we we have this feeling of wanting to get these stories on tape for posterity as much as like entertainment in the moment and, and popularity in the moment. I don't know if I'm, I'm off base, but when I listen to yours, I feel that like, okay, this is great. These guys are on tape now forever, you know? Yeah, I know. It's amazing because there was another podcast and based out of some uh, Boulder city rock, some sort of, Hey, I'm Dave. Uh, it was in some sort of Boulder radio station. Really oh yeah, good. yeah, of course. Um, uh, climb, climb talk radio show, climb talk. Yeah, and it's very really good. Uh, but one time I downloaded a call, a couple, and then one time just on random on my phone or iPod, uh, John Backer came on. By then he was dead. I was like, "Fuck, that's listen now. That's him talking. He's dead now. I never they made the show. He wasn't dead. He was full of life. And now listen to this voice coming from beyond the graves. A cliche, but it reminds you of." all that stuff if you're going to die aren't you and it's at that point it was just someone talking about his life and talking about climbing but now he's dead and it was kind of seemed really cool to have that recorded as an as a genuine memory of the person rolling through somebody else's gaze yeah a hundred percent i mean that, that's been you know my you know my sort of evangelical push with with this type of podcasting um more candid and you know i've always i've always go back to this idea of laughter you know, if you can listen to a person, not just laughter, but like when their voices get excited and it's just so telling about who they, who they are. And I remember, I, I always think about back to, I, I talked to uh, my friend Heidi Wirtz and, and it literally was right around the time when, when Climbing Magazine had done a profile about her and I had read the profile and it had actually, I mean, it had been well done from a journalistic standpoint. You know, I have no points to like take with that. But I was just like, God, there's nothing in here that tells me about the person I know as Heidi Wirtz, who's this like goofball, self-deprecating, giggly kind of weirdo, right, from the old school of climbing. And 
And that was a moment, and this was early on in the podcasting where I was really like, the interview I did with her, I was like, this this is the Heidi I know because you walk away going like, that girl's kind of nuts, you know, in a great way. But but yeah, I mean, it's like they almost clean all that stuff out in a journalistic sense. Like they don't want to let- I know. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. Or or it's it's very, very hard to convey on the page. I guess it is hard to convey, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Or maybe the- Journalist doesn't know them so well. I don't, don't know who they were, but don't yeah. Know so I mean, that that's that's like a moment where I'm like, this is it. This is like such a great thing to have. And that was also, I mean, you know, I I, I had a guest pass away very early on, actually, the the fellow Kevin Landell who died of cancer. But for some reason, it wasn't until some of these like luminary climbers had passed away. I, you know, I, I don't have a tally or anything, but uh, but then I also realized sort of like, yeah, the importance of this medium and sort of recording someone again, casually not recording their processed speech that they gave in front of a committee or in front of an audience. But this casualness is, is really like, I don't know. I kind of, kind of like a, just the spirit of it. And, um, I fight against it both. You know, I've, I've like, Oh, my thing should be more polished. So it's like, it's like this weird thing where I, I like, both love it and sometimes I find myself like fighting against it in a weird way like I I get influenced to try to clean my shit up you know (laughs) no it's supposed to be you know raw so I mean just in my mind like because because I'm getting you know it's like I'm I'm getting paid I I have obligations you know but but then late at night I come up with some other dumb commercial and everything's fine so it's 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 hey Chris you know yeah all your shows will be on a server somewhere, like whatever you pay some service for them, won't you? Uh, mm-hmm. I use this thing called Libsyn. If you if you cancel cancel your subscription, do all the shows disappear? You don't want to keep paying that forever, do you? Just to keep them keep them out there, but you want them to stay out there. It's a tricky thing, isn't it? I don't want to. It's a lot of money. Yeah, I wonder if you could just put them in a Dropbox. Well, that's you pay for that too. Yeah, I mean you have to pay for space on the internet. So whether it's on a website or or um, but I, you could probably find like the most basic cheapest version of having them exist and direct people to that like a dropbox subscription that's the lowest amount or something i don't know that's a good question oh i haven't thought about the i haven't thought about it's it's implicit in what you're saying to preserve these voices but unless they are if if you forget to if you change your credit card details and the normal cast's account gets cancelled and those things are just flushed off down to some sort of S-band into the sea and that's it. Well, I've got them on a hard drive anyway, so... Yeah, but then um, you you, you, know. f- you forget your hard drive in the pub. You went down to Boulder one time and you fucking <laughs> really, really lashed and took a few mushrooms, went out to the desert, put the hard drive somewhere. Fucking hell, where's that hard drive gone to? <laughs> that had my Messner interview on it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I haven't even put that out yet. I <laughs> put <laughs> <laughs> that's so fun. yeah totally i mean or or you know the sunspot the sun flare just wipes all the computers exactly, you know, or yeah. whatever the solar flare that's the end of that but you know i maybe, think maybe we have should to type them out there and put them on vinyl oh, oh, seriously, yeah. records. <laughs> dude that's a that's future. a niche right there yeah the vinyl the vinyl podcast nobody's doing that shit dude (laughs) oh man you guys heard it here first getting your podcast on vinyl (laughs) a subscription service (laughs) oh man that's incredible god damn i'm writing that down i am writing that down (laughs) because that's what i'll do is i'll just do uh you know like 
Yeah, in the old days, they'd do like this, the press, the like 300 pressing or whatever. I think, yeah, I think yeah. Jack and White has pressing on the, that recorder. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. that's the, how I'm going to put out the Messner one. It's just a, a freaking pressing <laughs> with like a one of those that comes in, a, you can see it like it's a picture. The record's yeah. an actual like picture of like Ahmed de Blom or something. <laughs> <laughs> Exclusive, like the Wu Tang album. Didn't they have like a album and they sold for like a million dollars or like one pressing? Anyway, but it is good if you're kind of you're you're kind of I guess you're kind of some climbing nerd, aren't you? A bit like I am. But it's it's cool you can just get in touch with people, and say hey, fancy doing a chat, and they they mm-hmm. really always just say yeah. Pretty amazing, yeah, isn't it? totally, yeah. Yeah, we had a. You and I talked a little bit about Joe Brown actually, and and uh, when I made the mistake that he had already passed, and Joe Brown has since passed, and I feel like maybe that was. Uh, didn't you say something about trying to trying to get in touch or put out a, an interview that you had with him? Well, and, I have I have an down. interview with Joe Brown. As, yeah. as the, as is it the, on a um, is it on a vinyl pressing? <laughs> <laughs> it's a wax disc. It's, the, it's one of those you have wax to crank discs. It. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's a gramophone. <laughs> right. It plays a seventy eight RPM and it's about eighteen oh, albums. That's right. <laughs> That'd actually be perfect. It was all tinny sounding, you know. Like, like you recorded it in like 1956 or something, um, but anyway, uh, you know, R.I.P. Joe Brown. No, no disrespect to you, sir. But yeah, no, no, I've got, um, but yeah. I've got like a, a two and a half hours of interview with him. But uh, there was just, if for some reason he didn't want to go out, I don't know what to do with it. It, just, it eats away at my soul because it's, a, it's, it's amazing. It's amazing. And he talks about all the amazing climbs that he's ever done, and he, he sounds so upbeat. And he's philosophical and he's full of fun, but there's just some shit to deal with that I've never managed to deal with. Huh. So yeah. I wonder yeah. if his if his uh if his um surviving estate and in laws would, would uh be someone to ask now about it. I'll look into it because I said it's sort yeah. of it's it's like looking into the uh the off limit land at the the on climb to ret, the best ever on climb to ret, and it's just across the road. Is that sort of because you know if you that's what I'm into. I'm into putting these things out, and it means a lot. And you put lots of effort into it, so it's gonna, you know, be nice to do sometime. Yeah, we'll, we'll for see. Sure. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I, I would. I mean, I would love to hear it because that guy's a legend. Yeah. Um, for sure. And uh, I mean, he he yeah, he lived a long time too. So yeah, and yeah. Did a lot of stuff. Um, He's like a Royal Robbins type character in there. I guess would that be a similar? Yeah, I think so. I think, but uh, yeah, a hundred percent. And and again, like. I don't know. I think about UK climbing again. Our impression of it, um, and and uh, I, I maybe use. I always get confused about you know British versus the UK versus England versus Ireland versus all those things. But nevertheless, the climbing that goes on on those islands, um, you know, it, it's it. We have obviously a different view of it than than those living there. But I have these several eras in my head, and his era, you know, it's another era of just uh i mean of just so many legends and so i've always said like so influential on american climbing because we you know and and at least let's say north american climbing because the canadians too you know we we definitely soaked that up versus uh like sort of the continental tradition um in terms of how you know americans approached rock climbing in the 50s and 60s was and i and i think speaking of royal robbins it's because he traveled you know over and and climbed with some of these people and and started to you know the clean climbing revolution came out of there and all those sorts of things so um it's such an interesting thing for us to look back at at 
that climbing scene and and see where the influence was. Yeah, it's come so far, hasn't it? Mm-hmm. I mean, for example, one of the, one of the stories Joe Brown told me. There's this cry called Cloggy, which is up high up a mountain where things like the Indian Face are a very traditional cry. And they used to go up there when it rained. They'd still go up and climb in the pouring rain. They said there's this one climb they're trying, and you got this groove through a through a steepness, and it's easier if you face right. But there's that much water coming down it. He reckon if you tried to do climbing on the right, you would drown. So he had to face left to keep his face out of the out of the downpour. Otherwise, he would die from drowning facing the other way. It's just incredible, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and he still climbed it, I'm sure. Yeah. His hand that was reaching around the arete was like also running with water. So, I mean, just that part of like, of, of, you know, UK climbing lore is always fascinating because there's so many stories where, yeah, people are climbing in like completely soggy conditions as, as yeah, no, just I know. a matter of course, you know. Uh, yeah. And here in the Western US, like we don't go out with there's a threat of rain in the next 48 hours. Like, I know. We're not going climbing, you know, <laughs> so it's pretty insane. You know, um, it's what, often in your imagination, it's when you go beyond what you know. And because what I think about that is they would have climbed in that conditions. But then they would have come down to some a hut and they wouldn't have had changes of clothes. They would have just stayed in those clothes and probably slept in those clothes and then got up the next day. Because that's, that's, that's one thing being drenched on a climb. But then to go and have your dinner in the same clothes, the same woolen outfit. It's so hard there, yeah, the isn't wool. it? Yeah, the wool. Yeah. I, that's the o- I think wet wool is the odor of like 1950s climbing for sure. <laughs> <laughs> if you could put it in like a candle scent, yeah, um, yeah, that, yeah, would, that yeah. would be it. Like <laughs> soggy wet wool. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, all right. I'm going to try again to ask you a question about yourself. You know, Andrew and I, Bishrat over there at the run out and, and formerly of Rock and Ice. And, you know, we've, we've often asked these questions about, cause we, we feel like we know you even from your writing before the podcast. All right, and, yeah. You know, you, ha- you've had columns in American magazines and, you know, you've, you've, you have this like really cool humor philosophy kind of, um, style that, that I think is really effective. I just read a piece before I got on the air, um, that was recently published in 2020. That was, that was that kind of thing. And the self-deprecation, all these sorts of things, but we've often wondered who you are. Like we all know the Grimer because of his writings. And, uh, but that's like, we were just saying, it's only this kind of small cipher into who you are as a climber as well. But, um, I guess my question that I kind of want to position you age wise, but more importantly, like what was your cohort and era living in Sheffield, coming from Ireland, like where do you fit into the climbing scene? Like, what was your kind of when you started? What was the scene, and who was your cohort? Uh, <clears throat> so I'm 53 years old. I was born in 1968. Uh, I grew up in a place called Derry in Northern Ireland. Through this thing called the Troubles, do you know what the Troubles are? Is when lots of murder going on, lots of uh, the British Army, the Ulster police, the Catholic terrorists, Protestant terrorists. It was that was just the world they grew up in, and it was kind of, and that 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 was your world. You sort of lived through this world. So it kind of, I think, you know, it's one of those things that's utterly shit in some ways. But again, you look back and think, what a privilege to experience that such a unique upbringing. I'd be a child, four years old, five years old, walking around the town, and my mum would get searched by armed soldiers. 
three times just to go to the shops and, and they'd check our bags and you had a queue and it's just you'd look out the window it'd be like a, a tank outside the outside the, the house with armored cars and things like that and foot patrols camouflaged armed soldiers everywhere and bombs going off and and all the news was about murder and riots and and it was just and I guess it gives you a, a kind of there's a real thing in that culture of humor you just everything's up for being laughed at everything is there for a bit of laughed at and which you know nowadays that's i, I gotta suppress that thing because that's not the way the world is anymore that things aren't up for being laughed at but just as an upbringing nothing ah my uncle died of cancer last tuesday the next thing you'd be laughing about your uncle dying of cancer that sort of stuff and this and i guess if you're not trained in that it looks like disrespect but it's not disrespect it's your language that's how you contended with this amazing situation to grow up in. Uh, so yeah, that's 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 the upbringing, and then I was I was kind of essentially friendless for almost my teenage teenage and younger life, and then I got involved in the scouts, and through that was taken to an outdoors thing, and did a bit of climbing one time, which really grabbed me, and I made a friend called Paul, and he and I. We're fortunate enough that Paul's older brother and his friend were the only climbers within a hundred miles of us, and they took us climbing. And I was, and we get into that, and that was a real attitude thing. This, you know, it was just it was a real sort of punky attitude we had of looking down on everyone he didn't climb. We just thought everyone he didn't climb was a fucking idiot, and they knew nothing about anything. And you look back, I look back now and smile at that at that person who thought like that and think, what a cool way to think that everyone else is a fucking idiot apart from you because you go climbing and they don't go climbing. And you could, I could judge that 16-year-old, but I definitely don't judge it. Sort of, I'd like to meet that 16-year-old again. It's, it's a, again, we grew up to this punk rock type thing, which was kind of saying fuck off, do lots of things. And, we, and that you took that on a bit. And so if you did meet other climbers, even if you did meet other climbers, you decided they were Protestants and think, well, fuck them. Because <laughs> that's, the, that's the way you're brought up this whole, it just sinks. And much as you hate that, you sort of, you can't help but playing with it, playing with this thing, oh, fucking prods. And you, you, you talk like, not meaning it, not meaning it at all, but playing with that. And uh, that was climbing. And then we did get to know other climbers and you'd respect the ones who climbed hard and get enamored by that side of it. In Ireland at the time, there was probably like, I don't know, maybe 20 or 30 active climbers in the whole country. And eventually we'd start to meet them a little bit and uh, respect them a lot. And it's the first time in your life you'd meet anyone who you respected in a way. Because religion, despite the fact you lived in that world of religion, you wouldn't respect any, really respect priests or teachers or anything. You just had no respect for it. just had no respect for anyone. <laughs> a bit a bit of fear of things but no no respect so yeah and i think that's again i feel very fortunate to have grown up with that attitude which kind of leads on to other things and and so you play you end up with that mixture of respect and lack of respect i kind of don't really know what i'm saying here but um well i it's, i have a question and or maybe a comment and it's actually something that paul said and he was talking about sort of growing up or not growing up, but climbing during, you know, the Thatcher years and the 
and the dole and all that. And um, and it's interesting. He said a line about how like they felt like the government didn't respect, you know, his class, who he was, the sort of poor and uneducated. And he's like, and therefore he's like, he said he, I don't think we respected ourselves. And it's an interesting, it's an interesting thing to think about. Like that punk rock attitude is a little bit of like, you know, you, 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 I think you, you don't feel respected and you're fighting for it. And you're sort of, you know, that that's becomes this like push and pull of, in your in your quiet times, you're like, I, you know, I probably, I don't respect myself, but this climbing thing is like giving me this power, you know, and it's almost like you're, you're misusing it in some ways and you're using it properly in some ways. Yeah. For me, it was definitely the, uh, between getting into climbing and getting to know these other climbers and then moving to the UK, the two things were to some degree consciously or not consciously began to create myself because it, it's the, the person I was leaving behind was kind of, you know, I didn't want that life anymore of being alone and having no friends and not relating to people much. So it was kind of really nice to move into these worlds where you could create something and your value could come through your storytelling or what grades you climbed or whatever you could bring to the bring to the party and leaving no one knew the old you anymore so it was kind of a real a real amazing opportunity to find people you could play with in that way when you did make that move and i and i would guess that as a climber you also met up against kind of the the boundaries of what's available to you where you live which you know unless you're born in yosemite or something you all climbers kind of end up you know looking out and seeing that they're being limited or that they're done with these cliffs or they've had enough or whatever. Um, so you, you moved to, to Sheffield, like when, when about did you land there and what, what was, you know, again, that's a mythical place to, to me. And I think to a lot of, of climbers that, that word, which I don't even know if you guys understand like the power of it, but, uh, it's a really powerful conjuring to bring up Sheffield in, huh. in a climbing context. It was so friendly. It was so much fun. So much fun moving to Sheffield. I'd lived in North Wales for a while, uh, for maybe nine months, fucking rained all the time and all the time lived there. There wasn't that many climbers after nine months, I moved back to Ireland and there wasn't anyone to say goodbye to. I, I just it was so miserable. It was so it was on my last day. I just packed up my bags and and left. Didn't say goodbye because there's no one to say goodbye to. <laughs> but then come to Sheffield, having travelled a bit for climbing, you'd meet people. When I got to Sheffield, they're all there. I just felt like everyone's there. And it was so much fun and so friendly. And there's so many different scenes. There's a hard climbing scene which I wasn't part of, but just these little scenes form. You go to the wall and you meet your friends. Go to the pub go out and do some trad climbing and it's just you could just find your people there really easily and, and there's lots of climbers and lots of committed climbers and lots of fun climbers they're all there so it was kind of it was a really easy place to find one's feet and I went there at an ex-girlfriend so I went back to see her one time and just ended up staying found just like a snowball with relationships with people when did you start to realize you had sort of a voice far as you know commenting on climbing as this culture commenting on the scene there when did you start to kind of figure that out and start moving towards that because that you know as far as your name is concerned and who you are that's my introduction to that was to be to be reading your pieces here in the states and having a laugh and 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 you know they also were very thought-provoking um underneath that after university i went to university and then after i finished that i didn't i'd never written before in my life but just 
one day instead of writing what you're meant to be writing for university, I just had an idea and put down a paper and it was just a discovery that it came out in a certain way. And what I've always done is just write the thing that amuses me. And I was never writing for anyone else, just writing what amused me and set it off. And sometimes it'd get published. But just yeah, having an idea and trying to convert that into words. I don't write so much at the minute. I mean, podcasting and a, a DJ and podcast, that satisfies a certain creative impulse in me. But that was back then, it was writing was the thing that really came to me. Again, very much just writing what I liked. One of the first things I wrote and got published was this thing where I kidnapped Jerry Moffat. It was called King of the Crag. I was watching a movie one night called King of Comedy with Robert De Niro. It was Rupert, Rupert Pupkin. I said to me, mate, that'd be a funny climbing thing. If you could kidnap somebody, who'd you pup kidnap? You kidnap Jerry Moffat. What's the ransom demand? Climb with Ben Moon. And a, a friend had a computer and went and wrote it. And just it, over two nights, it's more or less, it, it came out out of me under the, under the word processor. I didn't even read it over. I just emailed it to a magazine and they printed it word for word. I, I hadn't even I hadn't even read it over again before I sent it off. Then Ben and Jerry came out and got photographs together. I'd never met them before, really. I, I met Ben once. I'd never met Jerry. And the three of us went and took photographs and illustrated the article. And that was the, the one that captured people's imagination a lot. But it was just it was just really easy to, to write. It just just came out. And again, I, I guess it's like a mock Ben and Jerry in the article, having never met them. And uh, But I felt I didn't mind doing that because it's going back to what you say. You mock people. That's what you do. You take the piss and do things at people's expense and see how they get on with it. Well, yeah, I mean, Andrew and I have talked about that, like how, you know, there's there's sort of this long tradition of that in climbing, but it's, as you may have alluded to earlier, like it's a bit harder to do now and, and get away with. I've always respected that part of, of the humor there where it, it just feels as though, I don't know, and, and maybe you can elucidate this and we can move on to talking about the culture, but um, it feels like, you know, you guys are less likely to pedestal some of these people, and um, I, I've always respected that, but maybe I'm I'm wrong about that in terms of getting on with these these amazing climbers like Jerry Moffat. You know, I, I would I would sort of cower if he was in the room a little bit. You know, <laughs> sometimes I used to read American articles that we we traveled to Kyrgyzstan with so and so. So and so is an amazing photographer. They write. Why do they always write? So and so is an amazing photographer. It's a very common thing. To sort of bum each other up, saying about how amazing they are. Why do? You, why would people do that? It's just such a daft thing to do. <laughs> but Chris, you know, when you're the writing thing, I've done little bits of sort of talking on stage, that type of comedy type thing, or I get to DJ sometimes, or podcast. You know, it feels like what they're all about is trying to trying to find the line of where where things are okay and try to. It's a communication, isn't it, with a crowd or an audience or a person or a readership. And you're trying to take, however successfully or not, attempting to take someone on a on an emotional, uh, intellectual place that maybe they haven't been before. And humor is an amazing way of doing that, of saying things that are harder to say in other ways. And humor is such a beautiful thing. And I think it's a shame that it's... Humor is not really on the, uh, uh, it's not one of the tools of the world today because it, it leaves a lot of anger in its place because you, things just have to be not said, don't they? And 
I appreciate there's lots of serious issues in the world that all they're all kind of lots of shit and people are a bit too raw about things currently to allow humor but I think it can get misjudged as been disrespectful when it's often anything but disrespectful if they make a joke about someone I just think about Andrew I was I, I was speaking of which I was uh, trying to email that guy Tom you know Tom he did some thing in the Himalayas recently Andrew Bishop wrote some massive article slagging him off do you know what I mean oh yes I'm aware Tom what's his <laughs> second name Tom Livingston Livingston and I, yeah. and I messaged him today and I had this idea. Tom, do I come on do a show together and uh, do something together? He goes, yeah, yeah. And my, what my idea was, he'll come on and I'll read out all the terrible comments about him and see what just they sort of, they, they sort of watch, him, watch him react to them all. And that's my idea because that'd be such an amazing, be such an amazing piece of output, wouldn't it? So I'm not sure how, how on board he is with the idea, but that's definitely one mm. we sort of just, something just gives you loads of shit. And you need to take all the shit. <laughs> and maybe they see how good you are taking shit. <laughs> yeah, there's a bit on, you could see it on YouTube. There's a bit on our uh, the Jimmy Kimmel show where they he has celebrities read mean tweets. Um, right. Is, is, yeah, it's pretty much that gag, but not quite yeah, as personal. Yeah. I, you know, it's funny because I, I think about that and like, yeah, you you have the fortitude, I think, to pull something like that off, like sit in the room and do that to him. And and again, like my Messner idea, like take the risk that like, you know, it's going to just blow up and he's going to storm yeah, out of the yeah. room or whatever. Yeah. I just don't have the, I don't sort of have the balls for that shit. Um, but, but I respect that you totally do. And again, it's, I don't know, it's, I think again, like the taking the piss is, is much more of a, like of a culture there. And like you, you, you're just willing to like walk that line, I think. Just because, I mean, you're, you're used to people not blowing up about it, probably, but I don't know. I just, and, and I think like, yeah, and climbing in particular, like it's a really tricky thing at the moment. Um, so it, 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 it's an interesting bit thing, but I was wondering actually while you're talking about that and, and good luck with that. I am very aware of this situation with uh, with Tom Livingston, <laughs> but um, Tom he, thinks I'm going to uh, ask him about bivouacs and, and what grade was it at the yeah. <laughs> How hard was the ridge? Tom, I don't give a fuck how hard the ridge was. I don't give a shit about the route. <laughs> Some stupid route in the Himalayas. I don't care about that. <laughs> Tom, let me stop you there. Let me read this. V Boulder V nine Boulderer said on Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> or whatever you know b9 boulder or 69 here said <laughs> but yeah <laughs> all right well like it's i said I'll, I'll fucking listen to that i'll cringe <laughs> in the corner listening to it because that's how hard it would be for me but i think it'd be amazing um so hopefully he'll do that i i feel like maybe you're not going to get that email return but we'll see but, um, but the thing the thing is it's surely for you know I feel like I'm talking about Tom behind his back. I don't mean to do it. But for Tom, it's, it would be such the best thing to do because it sort of, it just diffuses everything, doesn't it? And turns, takes away all the anger from things and lets, lets a settling take place. Just in terms of its, its outcome, it just always seems so positive, that kind of uh, approach or openness to things, doesn't it? Yeah, 100%. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And the diffusion is really the the key element there is that everybody, you know, can sit back and have a laugh and realize that it's all absurd. And I mean, you know, yeah. climbing a mountain. The, the planet's going to die. That the planet's yeah, yeah, exactly. planet's one generation away from dying. <laughs> yeah, right. 
<laughs> those goos you ate are not important anymore. Um, but <laughs> so, um, well, have you ever started a feud? Have you ever pushed it too far? Oh, nothing. Nothing. Nothing comes to mind. Oh, okay. Good. Uh, if I think of something, I'll let you know. Yeah. All right. No one's, no, no one's mind, chucked a pint you know. in your face or anything like that. <laughs> no. It's a I, I, I remember getting ready. I was a bit pissed one night. I was ready to somebody's house, a stranger's house in Sheffield. And uh, we knocked on Joe Bacalli's door and Joe wasn't in. So we came in and then the phone rang and somebody said, it's uh, somebody poured us a glass of wine each. Me, me and this girl had a glass of wine. And this guy came down to answer the phone, a guy called Dave. And I'd never met Dave before. And he's like a proper grown up. We were like sort of. 23 or something he was a grown up he's saying hello yeah yeah not a glass of wine and I just out of impulse just chucked the glass of wine all over his shirt just just right in front of just threw the glass of wine all over his shirt just to see what he'd do and he sort of he, he looked down and was, he was just completely stunned and I was just pissing myself laughing and just you know a thing of just let's see what happens and obviously I was a bit a bit drunk so I probably shouldn't have done it but uh it's amazing he what didn't you get away with something. No, he didn't punch me in the face. It was just amazing this that he punched me in the face. You see, that's what I'm talking about. That's why you could do the the mean tweet. Tom I was in, I was in Lake Tahoe couldn't. one time. I, I stayed in Lake Tahoe one time at a, at a party too. And this guy, one of these sort of jock guys, was in the corner saying something. He started saying something. I didn't know who he was at a at a glass of beer just chucked it not the glass but the beer just lashed it across it, this decking and went all down this guy. And the guy was fucking livid. And, you know, it's just, I, I, I don't know why I do those things, but you do those things just to sort of, just to have a mess. And again, nothing happened from it. You don't still they're do They're not very nice things. things. I'm, I'm not saying they're nice things to do. <laughs> but I guess it's kind of, uh, no, I won't. I won't try to, I won't philosophically try and say why well, it's a good thing to do. It's not a good thing to do. And I'm sorry I did them. <laughs> I would like to apologize to Dave and to that guy on the deck and Lake Tahoe. Uh, right. I'm a bad okay, if he's Sorry. listening, Niall yeah. apologizes. <laughs> I apologize. I mean um, it. I mean it. <laughs> um, all right, so I have some other questions here, um, sort of cultural questions. It's like, uh, what's the deal what with techno? What are you, uptight asshole? You write questions, down. You write questions, down. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> You're it. You're so uptight. Like- <laughs> <laughs> asshole. That's <laughs> a drone of a penis. Maybe you drawn a penis in that piece of paper. Hang on. That's, <laughs> that's Tom Livingstone. <laughs> <laughs> Look, he, he's got little ice tools, you see? He's got little ice tools. In <laughs> anyway, what's the deal with techno? Techno in Sheffield. Techno is this music yeah. genre that people in Sheffield like. They sort of, it, it's, I don't know whether people like it or everybody in Sheffield thinks that everybody in Sheffield loves techno. So they all must love techno. There's a bit of that. You know, it's it's kind of, there's a few techno furors and the uh, the troops fall into place around it a little bit. It's it's a music I quite like, but it's not the only music I like and I can see its limitations. Uh, but it's definitely, uh, it's the currency in Sheffield has been for a while. But yeah, it's, yeah. it's, yeah, it's, an, decades, it's amazing it music. Like. It's amazing music. It's just incredible music techno. Just amazing depends on having really good DJs for techno because it's it's a it's type of music that each track you hear is just a building block and it's when it's good it's someone creates a one, two, three hour creation using the bricks 
that are techno tracks and when you hear it, it's go wow it's so amazing that what they do and how emotional it is so yeah it's a long-term big thing in sheffield there's a thing called the works party yeah. which takes place every year and it's kind of techno based but there's techno yeah. and there's house and there's tech house and they're all very different things and the sort of mm-hmm. the people who love them are different things but it's techno is the sheffield thing the sort of germanic okay germanic specifically techno. Um, I, I've always just found it. I mean, I, I would guess that like the the greater community is influencing the climbers. Um, but it's always seemed like, yeah, there's there's like the Sheffield climbing scene is like synonymous with, uh, you know, techno and, and yeah, that yeah, kind of like yeah. party scene as well. My friend Gussie lived up the road did a techno podcast called Decomposed Radio. If people want to hear some techno, there's okay. a lot of climbers have done mixes on Decomposed Radio podcast. Yeah, and and it's funny because I always think of bluegrass as like this weird, like, I mean, it's 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 not correct. Like, this is not actually real, but I always think like American climbing and like picking guitars and banjos is more. <laughs> it's like more synonymous. <laughs> 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 I don't know amazing. why that is. People, bluegrass is amazing people, too. People, country music's amazing, yeah. isn't it? I love right. country music. Yeah, yeah. So. <laughs> Um, so let me ask you about, uh, again, like your sort of cohort and your, and, uh, if there was sort of any specific climbers that you looked up to when you started or like, uh, or, or like when you dropped into, to Sheffield, like who were your guys, you know, um, I joked about Ooh. at least my fantasy world was inhabited by, by, uh, Catherine Desteville. But as far as climbing is concerned, I can point to Leighton core actually was sort of this weird right, influence huh. on my climbing but um but who who sticks out in your memory is like the the, the the guys that were like if you were a poster on your wall sort of kid you would have had the poster on your wall johnny dawes was the poster on the wall johnny and yeah he was definitely the poster on the wall when i was like when i was a kid starting climbing he seemed to be just a amazing guy that amazing climbs and the magazines loved him and he was at the, at the time, he was put forward as someone who's saving British climbing from sport climbing and championing bold traditional values at the highest order. And he was, and that's what we aspire to. There was that thing slightly when you start climbing that sport climbing looked like a, a disease because he didn't understand it. And I guess maybe there was some threat to climbing. I don't know if there was, but and Johnny was this thing that stood against that, according to what you read in magazines. And he's a super cool guy, very, really hilariously funny guy, complicated guy. Some not always good to be around, but often brilliant to be around. And amazing climber, amazing mind, and as I say, hilarious when he's when he wants to be. Very special person. Hmm. And later years, Jerry Moffat became this sort of really cool. I, and I got to I ghost wrote his autobiography a couple of years later. But at the time, he always seemed like the real cool. He was the best climber in the world and he was again he seemed really funny and very larger than life i guess that's that appealing thing of those things that people who, who you get a sense of their character from and that they are fun to be around and again very kind nice person but johnny was the, johnny was the poster in the wall and paul pritchard but there's no posters of paul pritchard <laughs> 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 which is a shame um we should we should print that too on the vinyl but um the yeah so and so you were able to like again dropping into that scene it sounds like you were able to to you know 
meet these people, climb with them, um, become mates with, yeah. with some I mean, of we, these guys. The people I hang out, we, we weren't the good climbers by any means. We're sort of the bottom feeders, but sort of just keen. Sheffield's full of people climbing at all grades. And maybe I know the uh, it's the higher echelons that get the publicity, but it's in Sheffield, people climb it. It's all the way through the grades. It's not some sort of hard climbing mecca. It's just a climbing mecca. And Stanage is in the, the doorstep. And Stanage has got brilliant climbs from 5'2 all the way up to 5'14. So it's, 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 a, it's a very democratic world and you'd be influenced by the people you meet who climb well and but not anyone famous just like your mate who you like the way they climb or you can take something from what they do or you like their style or they're they're funny to be around or they inspire something in you or you climb at a similar level to them so they can do it you can do it and vice versa so it's, it was always that kind of thing rather too heroic and it was johnny you, you then get to meet him and you go through this phase of where you're dorky fanboy and then you get into another phase of kind of liking each other and spending time with each other what did your climbing look like if you're railing against you know as much as you can sport climbing if if johnny dawes is one of your heroes although if 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 you followed ben too then then at some point you probably accepted um sport climbing into your life if you will sounds like yeah, some sort of yeah. religious conversion have you accepted sport climbing into your life um have you heard the word um did you also i mean was it was like risky climbing um that kind of stuff because that's, oh, that's all that's you, it's interesting to, yeah. that you yeah 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 and, and uh so that was part of your life as well this idea of of yeah um going out and, and climbing really you know mindful scary kind of climbing um, yeah, yeah. Because that kind of all, all yeah. there was if you went up through the grades. Yeah, that was that was the thing you aspired. That was the uh, they're the the ones to do. Even when I was climbing at a lower level, because of the way I came into it, any day you went climbing, you did the hardest, scariest thing you could possibly do. And whether that's again five four, but that was always the thing you carried through. You're, you're if you go climbing. You, you push yourself as hard as you can. And, and for me, who had never had a sporting background, it's really amazing to get into that mindset. And I wouldn't have found it any other way, I don't think, where, I mean, to this day, I don't go cycling or running, really. And all I do is climb. So, so it was, yeah. So, but yeah, I would have always climbed as bold as I could. Again, never at any amazing level, but bold as I could. And you get the gritstone and I resonated with gritstone quite a bit and found a... Uh, through the little crags in the outskirts of Sheffield. I found myself able to climb in that quite well, up to a certain level. I did climbs of E8 level after top rope. But the, there was this thing where top roping, after hard grit, top roping became a bit more accepted. And so the level at which people would top rope before an ascent came down a little bit to E7, E6. Of course, up to that, you'd always have to climb on site. So taking on that on board I did some E7s and E8s but it, that's called head pointing and if someone ever asks you what grade did you climb up to I would never say E8 because it felt like well I only did that after top rooms is not really I would say E5 or E6 because they felt like more just experiments of what you could do if you put your mind to it rather than uh, where you're at as a climber whereas climbing on site felt like a real examination of where you were as a climber and what you're willing to do or try and risk, I guess. 
Yeah, and it's it's interesting because again, because I know you from your writing um, over the years and the in the columns and things that which a lot of times is you know misadventure is 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 a theme that you've you know because it's funny because you can get a lot of humor out of that. So I've always again like Andrew and I have always like been like so what what is that guy climbing because you know if you just take him <laughs> on his columns like the dude should be dead by now or whatever you know like <laughs> it's like or he doesn't manage to get up much you know what i'm saying <laughs> I, I don't <laughs> yeah <laughs> all right well then yeah i guess we've met eye to eye on that part of your story but um, um but yeah i mean so yeah go, going back to pritchard you know he has these these terrible accidents actually that um a, a lot of his life i mean his life clearly hinges on the totem pole accident now but then even before that you know in deep play and things like that there's like these these accidents or these things that happen to him that are specific sort of crucibles to how he, it informed his life later you know what 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 do you have in your past i mean i just want to like kind of well, find out like start, Paul, did you Paul, sort of stare Paul's... into the abyss kind of a thing you know <laughs> i yeah i have i have it those things where you think fuck yeah well, i'm thinking of as out in kyrgyzstan not exactly an answer to your question but it was in kyrgyzstan one time and i've seen you i've seen a new route up this mountain and i was on a granite slab very far away from any from civilization you get up this granite slab and you sort of keep going and keep going. You don't get any runners and you keep going. And the climb's getting harder and harder. I got this ledge and managed to do like a quite a tricky mantle shelf onto this ledge. And I stood in the ledge and at full stretch, I could reach another crimp. And using that crimp was quite easy to get to easier ground and more runners. For like days afterwards, I thought, well, what if that crimp hadn't been there? And just by chance that uh, there's no way I could have reversed that thing. And no one could have got around to get me off. And it's one of those, that was like, I just thought about that and thought about that and thought about that thinking, how could I, I'd have been in such trouble if that dice hadn't rolled the way it rolled and allowed me off that tiny stance. But that's, that's, that's one of the things where that feels like an abyss moment where I stared, I, I kept thinking about it over and over again, how, how close that came to been a really bad situation and what it was was no situation at all because there happened to be one hole there but if, there's so much chance there and again there's no way I could know it's very very far away from the gear a long way above a ledge to get onto this little thing of mantle Dante and also my my closest fall was one time soloing in Stanage doing an overhang and I got to the lip of the overhang and started pumping out and couldn't find anything to do and maybe 30 feet down but just jumbled rocks and I was just I'm just going to have to hang here till I pump out then I'll die and I couldn't see any option rather than hang here till I pump out and then die and then a friend grabbed me soloed up and grabbed me and tried to pull me down but he just swung me enough that I swung down and tried to grab onto his arm and I grabbed his arm. He was hanging on to a jug and I grabbed his arm and squeezed it. And I thought, I just remember that moment of, I'm fucking, I'm going to live. I'm going to live. As I held on to his arm and he held on to the jug. But then I was too pumped to hang on to his arm and his arm slipped through my arm. And he's, I grabbed his, he's wearing a, like a black tie-dye top and I grabbed on his sleeve. And just, and when you're so accentuated there, I, I could hear the stitches and his sleeves starting to tear out. 
and realized his sleeve was going to come off. So he used his sleeve to turn myself around and straight down this very steep slab, there was rock, boulders of rock, but maybe 10 feet to the right was flat. And I ran off down the slab. It was maybe like a 70 degree slab. And I ran down it and jumped onto the flat rock and sat there completely unhurt. And I looked at Paul. Paul looked at me. We're just, I can't believe this. This just happened. We just got away with it. That was just like pure, that was a very different thing. Just pure misadventure almost going wrong. And uh, yeah, other, other situations in Greenland. I remember in Greenland, a big, you know, the stories everyone's told you, but lay back up a huge flake and the flake starts to come away from the wall and then stopped. But I'm sure everyone's got a story like that. But again, it was out in this uninhabited island in Greenland and would not have been a good place to get squashed by a 10 ton flake. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I guess polar, anyone's. Polar bear, polar bear food. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, a lot of those stories, and everyone who climbs has got stories like that, haven't they? But you, you wonder when the closest, that, that Kyrgyzstan ledge thing felt, when I reflect that feels like the closest thing to things really going wrong ever in, in a very bad place. But Paul has been quite close to that edge more than most people. He spent, he's uh, had a few bad situations. He's not, he's not your average climber when it comes to uh, knocks in the head. Well, I think uh, he I went over the edge. Is, I think he's been past yeah. the edge and like reached yeah. back to someone's sleeve and got sucked back across <laughs> the uh, the literal abyss. Um, if yeah, I read it yeah. right, you know, when he was underwater was, and Golgar. Yeah, it's one of, it one of know, my podcasts with somebody called Glenn Robbins, a photographer. And he, Glenn tells the story from his point of view. It's very powerful. All right, right. He's the guy that picked him up out of the water. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, God, do you listen to this guy tell the story? You think, oh, that's a pretty full-on situation that was it's like wow chris chris will, will tell you about people people ask me where the best place ever climbed canyon lands of uh utah oh really oh my god what a place what a place I'd, I'd come from yosemite which always felt a bit too hard and hot and went from there ended up in the uh indian creek and moses tower all that sort of stuff my god what a place what a place just the best place in the world isn't it just fucking amazing so so deep that place isn't it so spiritual Climbing so when amazing. Were you there? Uh, late night. Uh, it was before before two thousand. Amazing. Yeah. People are brilliant. Climbs are brilliant. The weather's amazing. Just amazing. Moab. Yeah, it's, it's changed a lot, but all those things are still true. That's good to hear. Yeah. So you're fifty three, and it puts us kind of in a similar cohort. I'm I'm fifty. We've probably both been climbing for. I think you probably started a little earlier than me, but um, I mean, thirty what thirty five years for you, or a little bit more since it was 16 yeah so yeah something like that yeah yeah so and i started at 18 so we've been around and and uh and and doing it at the same time um i read this piece just before coming on uh you know quite a reflective piece about what climbing means to you at this moment um and and how you approach it so can you talk a little bit about as you've evolved as your life's evolved as your body obviously has evolved and decayed if you will you know what, what how does climbing fit into your life these days aside from the media thing the actual physical uh going climbing so i had a, had a daughter about 10 years ago 10 nearly 11 years ago get married and climbing had a for a long time climbing it just felt like trying to do too much and it was sporting the climbing experience and the other so kind of just let it go a lot and always try to stay fit along the way but I've met people recently in the city climbing and it feels like, you know, sometimes you can say, yes, I have been climbing of in the last 
six weeks. I was down in at three weekends down in North Wales with really old friends, and it was just as it was as good as climbing's ever been. It's such an amazing time. Really, really trad climbing, going taking a guidebook to a crag, seeing what appeals to you, seeing what grade you want to do, on sighting them, getting scared, getting pumped, camping that night, getting pissed around a campfire, doing it again next day with, and a few of those have been with uh, old friends who you would have climbed a lot with in the past, and not so much lately. And it was kind of these two situations. I'm thinking about three situations. I was kind of nervous before going away because I think it was that. Is this have these relationships fossilized and has my experience with climbing fossilized and will I still enjoy hanging out with them and enjoy climbing? And it was it was such a beautiful thing where every time you yeah, with different people it just it was really beautiful and the climbing was really genuine and doing British grades E two, Z three, Z four, stuff like that, which I'm quite really pleased to do those grades. They definitely feel like climbing to me, despite the fact I've maybe done higher grades in the past, but it still felt as genuine as climbing it ever felt, and the friendships were as good as it ever felt. It was just my body works really well. I don't, I don't look after it that well, but it serves me really, serves me really well. So climbing is a, in a very positive space for me right now. And it was, I say, that just to be in somewhere in Wales, in some little crag with nobody else there, in a beautiful place with a beautiful friend, and. Doing it, you know, just think fucking climbing so good, isn't it? It's just, you know, it just it's just it's so basic and so amazing, and it, it, it just felt utterly amazing to be doing. It. And 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 I, uh, I'm so grateful I can still do it. And, and luck hasn't dealt me a bad blow health wise or physically. A lot of friends have got bad hips and waiting for operations, and I feel so fortunate. Things sort of is in really good shape despite my, you know, I'm not a. You know, I'm not a broccoli character. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so... Whatever happened to the broccoli kid? <laughs> yeah, Malcolm. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. I daren't say. <laughs> I daren't say because he listens. <laughs> I've been told off by oh, okay. before. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I totally remember that, the broccoli guy. Sellers and broccoli. Yeah. <laughs> Let's swing it back to your podcast a little bit. Who's like on your on your like? I got to get that guy list or that girl. List All right, uh, right now. I had an answer. To if that. we put it out into the, if we if we put it out into the universe, it might happen. Yeah, I had an answer to that. Help. It was uh, Margot Hayes, but she sort of retreated a bit from. She just seems too locked away. Uh, I, I don't know why I said that because you, you see that amazing movie about her called Break On Through, and it was. Like an amazing climbing movie, but it still felt like a climbing movie made by men about her. And I just thought I'd, I'd, she looked so creative. I thought I'd love to see the movie she made. And I guess I won't ever see the movie she makes because maybe she's not into making movies. But I wanted to, I wanted to know about her. I found her quite intriguing the way she, you know, because she wasn't selling herself. She was kind of keeping herself to herself. So I was kind of intrigued by her, but she sort of receded a bit in the rearview mirror, I think, in, in, in recent times. She's done the very, the very polite, yes, that's really a no to me. So that's, I, I feel you on that one. Um, yeah. I mean, you know, like not, not a flat up, no, I don't want to do that, but like, a, yeah, well, we'll see. Or, you know, like it's a very, very sweet rejection, if you will. 
Right. Yeah. So yeah. I, yeah. And I, I've even tried to put the 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 um I even have tried to put the sponsorship pressure on a little bit because she's a sportiva climber, but yeah. So I don't know. I don't know if we'll ever crack the, the What do you what Margo do you think she'd be on about? Would she thing. would she uh be open, do you think? She seems to want to keep herself to herself, which is fair enough. Yeah. But if she pops up on another climbing podcast besides what, yours or mine oh um, fucking what he called you man Honnolds she pops yeah. up in yeah. fucking Honnolds <laughs> Jesus <laughs> Christ yeah I know <laughs> <laughs> then I'm gonna be pissed <laughs> then, we're, then there's gonna be trouble <laughs> is he still doing that podcast is he still doing yeah I think yeah 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 I, they're, they're like on a they're doing seasons which I don't really understand what a podcast season is no. literally I, I really don't yeah um uh, so they're doing a C, so I think they're on a pause at the moment, but they'll be right, back. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. No, she, she'll, I'm, yeah. That's, Are they big? Yeah. Do they get big listens? If anyway, she, Does the Honda one get big I, listens? I have no idea. Mm-hmm. I would I would assume. I have no idea. I've never asked. You know, it's one of those, it's one of those like, how much money do you make questions? Like, yeah. You podcasters <laughs> don't always want to reveal. <laughs> right. Okay. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. That, that kind of thing. But, uh, <laughs> it, you know, you want to interview more women and more young people and sort of different people too, don't you? And, and uh, there is that history thing, but this, at the same time, there's another side that climbing's pushing it another way too, isn't it? And I'm, I'm not, I don't want to be, get into issues-based interviews. I'm just not psyched enough to do it. But you still, if you you want to bring as many different voices in, do you know what I mean by issues? Issues podcasts. Yeah, yeah. No, I've dabbled, and it's uh, it's a tricky place to go, actually, for a climbing yeah, podcast. It is a tricky in my place opinion. to go, isn't it? Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah, it's it's sort of like the it's sort of like the the promotional one. You know, you've got something to promote. It's kind of like it feels limit a little bit limiting in in some, and it's weird because it's like an expanding part of expanding your voice as a podcast to go to these different places. But then sometimes the weight of the issue sort of feels like we don't go anywhere else and and i'm still about learning about the person you know and the person is is the most important part of of the story as far as i'm concerned so yeah i mean but i'll keep trying and and it's it's worth you know it's like when i first started this podcast i had this philosophy if you think of it you have to do it and like uh uh it was such a new thing and i felt like I, I really clued into the idea that you could do whatever you wanted. Like that was the that was the promise of podcasting eleven years ago. Like you can you can swear, you can, you know, whatever you want to do, do bits. You can there's no there's no producer, there's no broadcast network that's gonna shut you down and cancel your show. And and so I had this idea, like if you think of it, then you do it. And so I still do bring that to the show of like, well, I know what I mostly do is interviews, but what if I do this? So anyway, but yeah, that that's kind of my thing is like the the if you think of it, then then do it and see what happens because what do you got to lose? Well, I, I can't agree. If you think of it, you can do it because sometimes an idea comes to you and it's not going to go away. So you may like as well. throwing a beer on the kid at in Tahoe. Yeah, or doing a podcast. <laughs> you know, they're both the same thing. Oh fucking hell! Just do it. <laughs> I think you sound better at it than me, actually. <laughs> You, you sound better at, 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 at not fil- at not filtering, so I appreciate that. Um, all right, let me one more question, then then we'll go. I'm not stopping you. Here we go. You're getting aggressive. Okay. Um, you know, thinking about you and I, we've we've communicated over the years prior to this, but all by messaging, and we both love and and take pride in our projects, but we also 
lament them and, you know, lament the time it takes and, and the success of them and who's listening, you know. So, you know, we each get messages from each other out of the blue, just lamenting <laughs> podcast land. And, are we going to get rich, you know, kid? How are we going to get rich? Yeah, are we going to get rich? And, you know, how are we going to do that? And, like, we're not going to um, <laughs> until we start doing it on vinyl. But I'd, uh, I'd have been so pissed off if you'd go to the Olympics. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> If I'd have been the Olympic guy, <laughs> it would have been so Love terrible. So it would have been like a, it would have been like days of the Messner interview of like just awkward, problematic fear. Um, <laughs> so so it's good. Uh, but uh, yeah, so let me ask you a little bit about the project on a sort of philosophical level. You know, these questions get asked of me all the time, and so you know, as you've gone through a hundred episodes. Again, joking aside about getting rich because that ain't going to happen. We've talked about how we we're creating this record, but yeah. So, you know, where does it fit into your life in terms of um, the satisfaction you get from it, continuing it despite the fact that sometimes it feels like a little bit of a rewardless uh, pursuit, at least at least material rewards. Uh, right. Uh... You hung it up last night. You just you decided to quit last no, night. No, just this so morning. This is, I recorded no. <laughs> I recorded an intro on oh, the way cool. in this morning. Yeah, I don't know. Oh, cool. it, from a very fundamental point of view, doing the interview itself is an amazing thing, and it's not anything you get anywhere else in your life. That that opportunity to talk to someone who you dig on the level that an interview is, where they're very. You sort of signed a contract and you can ask me anything. That's, that's the contract, isn't it? It's You can ask me anything you want. And it's, it's a really cool place to be. And I, I really buzz off the interview when you get a... I mean, they're nearly all good. There's none that I don't think were good. And there's such... You know, unless there's a good reason they stop it. I've had pauses, but unless there's a good reason they stop it, I've, I can't see it stopping in the meantime. I, I did stop for a while before where I... I used to ask people to share it. Okay, if you like it, share it. And nobody did. Just people, it just made me think, fuck, people just fucking don't do anything. They won't do anything. And I get really fucked off with the, 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 this thing of the audience. You think, all you want to do is just, you just consume. That's all you do. You just consume. There's no, because you, you want to think you're sort of creating something. But at this point, it just felt, no, all they are is people just want to be fair. That's all it is. It's a one-way thing. You feed me. And that's I love you. Do you like it? Oh, yeah, but feed me. And it's not even that. And so so I, I had to go through that thing of letting that go that it didn't, in a way, the audience don't matter. And do it for yourself. If people like it, they like it. Because I'm not saying I don't get things. People often do write in to say, I love that thing. And that's really nice to hear. And it's nice that it has a positive effect for people, but ultimately I'm just doing it for myself because it's, it's a cool thing to do and a privilege to do. Like, like a lot of things I get to do in my life, it's a privilege to do them. And whether you're talking on stage or playing music to people, it's, you sort of think, well, uh, look what I get to do. Or the other week is down one of these traditional crag and I sold it a route. It was a, like a 5.8 or 5.9 or something. It's two-pitched route. And it wasn't easy. And I looked down like a 70, 80 feet to the ground and I was trying this move. I kept trying this move and trying the move. It was very steep. In the midst of trying it, thinking, I'm not sure if I can do this move within, with enough control to make it right. But I looked down and think, look where I am. Look what I get to do. And just that, that thing, how, how fucking 
luckiest guy in the world sort of thing. The way the way you feel about when you're with your friends or people you love. Look what I've got. Or your health. Look what I've got. Or you're sat in the sunshine. Someday, yeah, just it's a it's a privilege to do these things, and I'm very very aware of that. All right, folks, thanks for listening, and thanks to Niall for doing that. He's always been very generous with his time to me and to uh, the Enorma cast and also to The Runout, the other podcast. He's contributed over there as well, and I can always count on him, hit him up and do something very creative. If you want to check out all the creative stuff that Niall does, uh, go to nilegrams.com. You can find the Jam Crack podcast there. Uh, you can find a lot of his writing, and um, I've also linked to the story he mentions about kidnapping Jerry Moffat. It's got some great photos with it, actually. Uh, those guys played along, were quite good sports. So check that out at the uh, normacast.com. Do I, I never mention normacast.com. Do people go to normacast.com? I don't think we do. Do we? We just get our podcasts from our apps. But if you do happen by the normacast.com, you can always click that... Uh, PayPal button and donate something to the podcast. Don't mention that much either, but people still come through quite often with uh, donations. So think about it. Okay, holidays starting in earnest. Holidays are fun, are they? Are they fun? Yeah, they're also stressful. So look out for each other this holiday season. Make sure your friends and family know that you love them and you're checking their knots. Do you like dogs? Dogs. What? Yeah, dogs. Dogs. Do you like dogs? Oh, dogs. Sure. I like dogs. Dogs.